Okay, welcome to the first ever Tiger Shrimp Podcast. I am uh, joined here by my uh, my new co-host and good buddy, PJ Beckel. How's it going, PJ? It's going well. Happy to be here. More like Fantastic. a production assistant. My PA, PJ, <laughs> in the house. And our first guest today is... Uh, our mine and PJ's very good friend Miwi Lalupa. We knew him as a boy as Mike Williams, but he goes by Miwi Lalupa these days. And he is the co-founder of the Tiger Shrimp record label that we started together some years back now, maybe five or six years ago. And uh, we want to welcome Miwi to the podcast. How's it going, pal? Hey, good to see you guys. It's going all right. This was an idea I had. Uh, to get some content out there for tiger shrimp this um you know obviously in in these times i I felt like there was an opportunity with all the downtime from my own life to try you know if you're going to kind of be stuck at home try to put out some content on a weekly basis and um, that started with asking the guys on the label and pretty much anybody i know that was up for it to perform do the old live streams in their homes and we did that for a few weeks and that, that was very nice me we did a couple of those me did you have fun doing those i did have fun doing that um it was something to do and honestly it was the most nerve-wracking thing to do i mean i don't know who's gonna watch it <laughs> but it turned you know it turned out you know I, I don't remember the numbers but it was like the biggest shows i've played solo on, you know on my own not like opening for anyone or it's like, man, people are watching this. So I was, I'd get nervous and, you know, kind of the same jitters you get going out to a club and playing. Like, oh, you know, got to get my gear ready. Got to get my show clothes on. You know, I got to, you know, what am I going to wear? I'm like, I'm excited. Um, just got to, you know, we're kind of trying to set the scene and make it a little different. But in the middle of it, you could get, you could get stuck real easy, I'm sure, you know. No, I mean, the, the numbers were good, yeah couple hundred people watching live you know man, oh popping man, in really? and out and, and then i think hey right <laughs> and i think but then after even you know after you post it for a day more and more people are able to check it out and it yeah that's why i thought it was like a worthwhile endeavor i'm like shit if you if you played a show out at the club tonight you ain't gonna get a couple hundred people you'll get right. you know it's cool what was I that like facebook that. live you were working off of or is that the last one i did both instagram Okay. TV or whatever, and Facebook. So I had the laptop set up on Facebook, and then the I think Mary's phone on Instagram. So it's like my mom doesn't have Instagram, so mm-hmm. I wanted to let you know, just trying to hit all as many people as possible. I just got you know, I just felt bad asking people over and over. I was getting no's and getting like, come on, man, I don't, you know, really. So <laughs> I was just like, you know what, I'm gonna turn this into. If you want to do one. Let me know, uh, but I'm done asking. So, but now I'm gonna ask you. You want to do a podcast? Uh, that's that's the new question. Yeah. Sure. Can you hear the sound of the waves? I can hear it from here. Simply like where you know where did you grow up? What was your what was your childhood like? A little bit, just a little brief uh, bio. You know, background in your own words about you know. Uh, grew up in the Black Forest with a pack of wolves. <laughs> uh, and Black Forest, by Black Forest, I mean Buffalo, New York. Um, no, just outside of the city limits, a little town. Well, our officially mom's address is in Williamsville, hmm. uh, which, you know, for our family, it's like, oh, this is our, this is our town. <laughs> grew up with mom, my brother and sister, little house she still lives in. With the above ground pool, I met PJ in first grade. I think we became buds. I think over I had this boombox that my mom had, and I would take it to uh, to school because we had uh, 
I guess the y- YMCA or something after school. So we, you know, the kids had something to do before parents got off work or whatever. But me and PJ became friends in first grade over this. I think over the boombox because I play the radio and this song, uh, "I Got My Mind Set on You," would come on. Uh, George Harrison. Well, that was I a hot video at the time. Hot video, and it was on the and it was our it was our jam. So we kind of bonded over that, and uh, um, you know. At a very early age, started creating uh, these bonds over music because it just moved us, and uh, and was also supported in my household. My mom made us take music lessons as soon as possible, and luckily in our school district, the Sweet Home School District. Um, there it is. <laughs> Do you remember the? We uh. <laughs> there it is. Um, no, but. The school, and I don't think this is, I don't, I'm not sure if it's still like this, but then it, you could start taking music lessons after the summer going into third grade, which is incredible because a lot of schools, like, you can't start till middle school if you have a music department. But that was, you know, that was the 80s. And uh, so that was, that was great. So I just started playing. Uh, so your mom got you into it. Like your mom, it was almost a forced thing in the household, but you were like, yeah, I'll do that. Sounds fun. I'll do that. Like you were already clicked in like early. Oh yeah. My, cause my older brother, he, uh, he was already playing drums. So he was five years older and he was already in, I've been to school concerts and heard him banging on the walls and on the refrigerator with drumsticks, practicing his, you know, rolls and stuff like that. So I wanted to start. And I think that first summer I played, uh, I played, drum or a snare drum and you know did all the rudiment stuff and would walk to the elementary school and do the lessons and then i switched to the saxophone i don't know why but uh that was fun i can still remember that smell of the case that it came in because we would rent it for several years and then uh how old were you when you switched to this the sax well that was so that was third grade so maybe what is it i'm eight years old or something yeah I have some some pretty cla- there's one classic photo of me and my sister. Uh I'm in my underwear holding the sax playing the saxophone and she's in her underwear kind of pushing the buttons. You may you might have seen that photo. I've used it for uh like gig posters <laughs> or one. Yeah, yeah, I've seen the photo. It's classic. Yeah. So so <laughs> is that and that's like you can remember blowing playing a little playing some notes, learning some things back then. Absolutely. I mean that was, you know, in the school setting, that's like the craziest thing, I think, you know, just to be with some other kids who are trying this weird, blowing in this weird horn and honking away. And God bless all the parents out there who like listen to kids early on, just struggle through these sounds like. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's, it's really, it's really something though. To, and then to see the progress. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, I, and I teach kids now, too. So, yeah, uh, I, you know, these kids, they don't be practicing. And I'm like, listen, I tell the parents, like, I've been playing music a very long time. But when I was your kid's age, I didn't practice either. Mom would have to run after the school bus with my saxophone because um, I for- conveniently forget it. At, oh, whoops. OK, OK. So you did. So so you were into it, but it was still like it still became a little work. It was still like not your favorite thing to do all the time there was a little bit of forced like you gotta practice you know i guess i mean it wasn't like just it wasn't just a love affair you know from the start that you just okay (laughs) no i mean practicing at that age i think unless you know i mean like mom you know mom had so much to do and you know we had so many you know we were in playing sports and stuff and our friend we played you know football any every sport on the street and in little league so we had kind of a lot going on too, and plus you stink at you know unless you practice a lot. Yeah. So it's not very you know it's like oh man I stink at why I don't want to make sound out of this thing. Once in a while, you know, I'd go to my lessons and put down you know we'd have these sheets that say how many minutes did you practice on Monday? And so the day of the lesson I'm just like, uh, twenty minutes on Monday of course, and then twenty five on Tuesday. But it you know mm-hmm. just making it up, and the teacher obviously could know. Who was the teacher? Yeah, Do you uh, Mr. Mattia. Yeah, I, I think. That. Yeah, Mr. Mattia. Classic. And 
But no, eventually, no. Then you find, you, you know, you get yeah, a so, book. Yeah. Of so yeah. So what? When did it? Cl- I mean, when did it click where you were like, I like this, and practice is kind of cool, and it's starting to sound like I'm starting to figure it out. Like, what, what, do you remember how old you were? Or like a, a specific moment where you're like, oh, this is. Yeah. This is- um, probably around fifth and sixth grade because. Well, we got the recorder class, you know, which kids still do. Now you get a recorder and you play like hot cross buns. And I'm like, oh, I already know this stuff. This is, I'm like light years ahead of the other kids. Like, I'm, you know, I'm freaking mm-hmm. Kenny G over here. <laughs> and then uh, uh, there was this kid we went to school with who, uh, in uh, with, I think it was Mr. Pierce. I don't know if he did, oh, Miss Easter in uh, sixth grade. She said that... Um, there's a kid, Brian Labiak, who uh, the teacher said he was better than me at saxophone. And I, that that kind of turned the tables for me. I was like, well, you know, it's a little competition. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to start practicing. And, and then I got the Phantom of the Opera book for sax, easy saxophone. And I was like, this is my jam. I'm practicing. There's no way I'm letting Brian Labiak beat me. So... <laughs> And then it was on from there. I, then I was like, I can practice. And then I switched instruments again and just like into it. Was there like a, <clears throat> okay, I got my sports, I got my music, like one, you know, p- pulling you into one direction or the other. Was, there, was that ever like a... Uh, no, at, at a certain point I had to choose because, you know, we were playing at the high school level, you know, football and basketball. I think I was better at basketball, you know, kind of point guard. And I love playing basketball. I still is my favorite sport. But at some point, I, I got you know into uh, the all-state um, wind ensemble playing euphonium, um, and it started. So you had to be away for I forgot where it was, but it was somewhere in central New York. And you go for a week and you play with all the, like the, you know the best high school players for wind ensemble at the time, and it is, that started the first. I made the varsity team. Um, junior year and I had to choose because that that first week of practice started the same week that uh that uh the all-state band start you know had a week away so I told the coach I'm like hey I made this all-state band and I gotta go away for a week and do this music thing and he's like man well you gotta choose between the music thing and playing basketball I was like that was kind of the easiest decision if he made me, I mean, because I I would have probably come back and played basketball because I love basketball and all my friends are on the team. But uh, I was like, well, I, I'm definitely going to play this music. They've been working hard for this, and uh, and it's fun. Um, and then then I could just hang out and smoke weed with my friends and jam in basements more often. And not like, have to go sweet. to practice every day. Yeah, right. exactly, man. <laughs> I, I'm tired of sweating. Oh my goodness, who is that coach? <laughs> Oh man! Well, yeah, I don't know. no, no, because I didn't, I didn't end up playing for. I don't remember his name because yeah. I didn't play for him. I can picture his face. I can find out. I wonder, like, because my sister coaches, if she would have the same artistic and versus sports. Yeah, how often would, does she run into like somebody who's talented at both levels and has to make that choice at a young age? Is like, and it's the week at the beginning of the season. It's not the, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I that's the way I remember it. That's at least old school, I don't, you know. Yeah, I'm like I don't. I don't. I, I'm better at music than at basketball. I'm, I was good at basketball, but I was better at music. And you know, got this whole couple boxes of records. When my great uncle died, he was big into jazz and blues, so I got all these records around, around that time. And then it was like, man, listening to old jazz records and you know, getting stoned with my friend and hanging out and you know and jamming and <laughs> yeah. like, yo, this is. And then we went to Wales in high school. We, I was like, we're traveling with this. Like, this is, this is all right. It's fun, for sure. Well, PJ, you knew me. We so it's not, you guys knew each other for all through those young years and everything. Any, anything, uh, anything you like, you know, any little adolescent me we story that's I was, like I was uh, thinking about this. like what like pops into your mind when he says oh it's man, a weird memory it's first honestly, grade you have like a weird like just it's a weird memory but it's honestly um it's probably indicative of that time when we were i think we were riding the bus back after jv football practice or actually i don't maybe it was anyways i'm listening to fish record on my cd player portable cd player and i think i just played something for you like the first track off the rift album and you listen to the whole thing through, and you're like, 
I think you had, I guess you commented on it, you know, how musical it was or something like that. Was that, was that your first time hearing a jam band? Do you remember what PJ's been, talking right? about? It, it, yeah. It, um, although, I mean, Gavin. Oh, yeah. right. Yes. You know, we, were, we, were listening, we were listening to the Grateful. I mean, he might have turned me on to Fish a little you bit. but maybe about Gavin. Yeah. Oh, geez. He's still at it, too. Uh, but between all, all our friends, it was like we had so much different music going on. We, you know, I'd hang at the wall in between classes with all our black friends and we were all listening to different hip hop. Um, and then I, you know, I'd be riding back with PJ. He's putting on a fish record and I'm like, this is all great. I, just bring it on, whatever, you know, then we had someone like Justin Carr playing, you know, oh he was God. into <laughs> the nine inch nails and those kind of people. And I was like, oh, sure. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> and he could play too. So I'm like, all right. Okay, so then what was the moment when um, it was like, okay, this is this could be life? Well, probably uh, between between you know, all the Italians in my life, there was between Joe Baudo and meeting and hearing uh, uh, Eric Biondo and and Carmen and Tori and their band Straightforward, or there was maybe I, I met Eric and heard Carmen and Eric playing in the Macy Favor big band down at the Colored Musicians Club one Sunday afternoon. And I was like, yo, you can, they were, they were, I mean, Eric's a little older than me. Carmen's my age, but I was like, you can, you can play at a high level and gig and like in front of people like this on, at a club. I was like, whoa. Okay. So, and then, then we became friends and, you know, with, with Bauto's encouragement, he had the, he had our, he had our high school big band sounding awesome and just everyone focused and, uh, then you know our older friends like Gavin went away to he went away to music school, Biondo went to Eastman, and it was like you know I, I don't know I don't know if at that at that point it was like oh we could do this for life but I just definitely want to keep doing this so if you can go to college for it and then I don't have to do uh when when they said the guidance counselor said you don't have to take math you can take music theory. I was like, yes, <laughs> this could. All right, I'm. T- yeah, I'm serious now, Jack. Like, cause this that that big ass uh, calculator they made us buy with the blue and orange buttons. Yeah, Ti eighty like, three. Yeah. Ooh, we. I was like, oh, I can take music theory. I am in. Let's do this. So, yeah. Then you know, Eric Biondo was like, come to Eastman, audition at Eastman School of Music up in Rochester. I was like, okay. We were, you know, we were playing with people from that. He had a big band and they would come to Buffalo on like Monday nights or Sunday nights downtown. And uh, all these students who were in college at Eastman, amazing musicians. And I would play with the band um, and I, you know, might make five bucks too. So then I, you know, go to school on senior year, be like, go to school in the morning. Like, I just, I was on a gig last night with these, with these cats. I was like, okay. We'll see, you know. Okay, so that's like the beginning of gigging and like, but you started a band uh, before before you went to college, right? Like the, you know, the first band, right? There, yeah. Was that or was that during yeah. college? No, that was right. That was before because the summer before college, we uh, we because we had gone to Wales with the high school. They had an exchange program with the Welsh students, their jazz band. So we went to Wales. I don't know. It was like ten days or something over there, maybe two weeks, and then they would come over and stay with us and play concerts around. Uh, but then, so we had started a band um, with PJ and uh, Keith Shapansky and Jared Cohen. So we started a band. At first, it was called Four Winds Way because that's the street that we would practice on at Jared's big ass house. Mm-hmm. So. He had a nice little spread in the basement to set up and play. And uh, um, th- so we took that band to, with all our contacts from Wales, pre-internet. We took the band. I think I don't know if we were called Thought by that point. Or we were we Four Winds Way at that point? Yeah, I don't, yeah that, that, was, that was later on in the... Uh, Wait, so, okay. so you, went, you, had the, you had the exchange program, but like not... So like that was with the the school band, but not everybody went or something. So it was like only the few of you guys started a band. I'm a little bit like okay. So 
Yeah, after so the school band went, the jazz band went, everyone jazz in the band, band. went, okay. uh, and then we went, we went back the following summer, before college, and did our we because we had started this band, this uh-huh. four or five piece band, Big Joe, Jared, Keith, PJ, myself, and uh, we we called our friends and booked all these, booked you know handful of gigs in Wales. We so we took ourselves back as a. A separate band to Wales. <laughs> so early As, on, you were like, mil- you were like milking the contacts and being like, "Oh, we're big in Wales. We're going back there." And you know, yeah, yeah, we were some huge. Some people will man, show up. Tell you. <laughs> uh, what were those gigs like? You guys remember those gigs? We had. There were a couple of good gigs. Yeah, there were for sure. There was. There was some. You know, we were like a jazz band from. Yeah, were you, you know, cover, we, you were just covering jazz, or did you have originals yet? We. I don't. I don't know if we, I don't remember having original, because we, you know, we would go and see Doc Bado play on Saturday nights, and his band, Rare Blend, would always, they were doing, like, songs, you know, 70s Standards. and 80s, like, hit songs, you know, oh, yeah. you got mm-hmm. to change your evil ways, so yeah. I think we might have played some But organ trio yeah. style stuff, you know. Yeah, so we were trying, you know, it's like, that's what you do when you gig, so you just... Play some of those old songs and play some some jazz standards the best we could. Which who knows how that sounded, but uh. <laughs> I wouldn't want to know. I, you you know, know, there's no recording of those shows. There's no bootlegs going around of the first Welsh Four Winds Way performance. There might, you know, there might be on mini disc or something like that. Uh, there you go. But you also, but, uh, that whole summer oh, though was filled with. Just now that I'm thinking about it, it's. The timeline of things back then was you know, senior year of high school, you graduate that summer, we did that little tour, and then you went to school at Eastman and probably were knocked off your socks a little bit by the amount of talent there. And then and, the, and then you would bring it home, and then and then it was um, hooking up with Andy Winsikowski. Oh, yeah. And I forgot how that happened. Was that a Jared thing? Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Jared knew. Jared had been, you know, he because he did. I did the classical, all you know, all state and stuff like that. And my jazz thing was like, you know, he studied jazz with a teacher, and he was playing all those like, you know, all county, all state. So he'd meet a lot of other jazz, guys. more jazz musicians. So he was like, I know this drummer, you know, because we, you know, we knew. You know, Biondo and Carmen, but he knew some other people that out, outside of our circle or our reach. So he was like, I, I think we should get this drummer, Andy Wenzikowski. And it was like, oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. And then, then it became the weekly Heenan's gigs and yeah. that, yeah. that whole... And that, what was that? A couple of years of doing that? Yeah. We, I think we did... Uh, and I think we did like three New Year's Eve parties there in a row. Uh-huh. And we but we were doing we were doing I think a bi-weekly residency that one summer or even during the school year. I remember driving back and forth. Yeah, I think you guys were, yeah, you were driving back and forth. I remember it was during the year Thursdays at Heenan's was, you know. Yeah, it was red. I mean, we 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 started and we were all I think we were all underage, which was amazing. So that wasn't and, even a que- I mean, strangely that wasn't even a question for whatever reason. Yeah. <laughs> Because we could play, like, you know. Don't ask, like, don't there's tell. 100, there's a hundred nineteen-year-old kids in this bar. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, we could, you know, yeah, we we could play, and people would come out, For and sure. then we get paid and get yeah. drunk, and uh, you know, that was great. So we did that. Uh, shit, we did that. So we those probably for those that, for those that don't know, listening, PJ was the bass player. Um, at that point, Miwi was sort of the sort of the front man-ish where you you were playing guitar yet or in the band or just horn at that point just horn and singing horn and singing and then you had lynn yeah yeah lynn yeah lynn lynn joined uh i I met her that year that freshman year at at school Mm -hmm. and then uh pj started dating her so he's like, I, she should be in the band. I'm like, yeah, great. <laughs> I, I don't remember it like that, but I don't know. No, she like, sat in a bunch and she killed it every time. Basically. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And your sister used to come down and sing sometimes. Oh, I remember. Yeah, I remember she turned. I had a 21st birthday there, 
a, on a gig. And he was like, and the owner was like, yo, so you're 21. That must make your sister. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but she could sing and, you know, she brought it. We all did. So it was like, that's a cool gig. So that was the momentum that, I mean, that obviously that momentum, you know, must've felt good. And then you're, you're going to college and honing your craft a, a bit, I guess. And, um, learning different styles of music and everything and bringing that to the band. So then what, then you, then you graduate college and move. Was that decision super easy to, to move? Yeah. Yeah. Again, you know, it goes for me, goes back to Eric Biondo because Eric, um, he's been a, you know, a good friend for a long time and someone I look up to musically. Um, and he was like, yo, you know, you know, he'd hear the band thought and we, you know, Jersey band, we play a bunch with them. Um, but Eric had been down in New York for, you know, just doing all this crazy stuff. We, you know, we see about crazy stuff being like play with Tio Macero, who is Miles Davis producer and that get a gig with the monkeys, Davy Jones, um, and just meeting all these people. And he's like, yo, if you, you know, your band's good. Like if you want to really take it to the next level, you should move down to New York city. So, um, I think I worked after college I worked like, you know, teaching and working at uh, at a music store, McClellan's Music House, house or House of Music, Music House downtown. So I saved up some bread and then I was like, all right, I'm, I'm going to New York. Who's coming with me? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, PJ yeah, went with you. you know, PJ, <laughs> PJ, you know, PJ and Tim were, yeah. you know, PJ, Tim and Kevin Raska at the uh -huh. time was playing drums with us and uh they're like yep let's do it let's and there go. was there was right. never a okay i got a degree from a you know very you know well-regarded music school should i apply to get some sort of actual job you know like so, some sort of like you know stable job in music you know i, I, I mean know. you know once you get that a taste of that with any audience that's like into your music and you feel that energy it's it's kind of hard to turn that thing off mm -hmm. i think you know you're like oh man you're on top of the world man after after a good show with people there and you get some money it's like i want it's that's the best drug man um so we were kind of chasing that i think yeah okay so then you so so you're in new york you're living in brooklyn and you record a record and things are you know going Okay, you know, like, well, well, did you feel like you did it right, or you you you, you succeeded as that band? Like, what was the, you know, how did that all go? That kind of that dream, kind of. You guys can both answer this, obviously, because you both kind of ended up in different directions. But, um, <clears throat> well, yeah, yeah, uh, I, you know, I mean, the, the the one thing that people don't tell you about moving to New York is that you have to. At the end of the day, unless you got some some money from somewhere else, you got to survive. Mm -hmm. So you know you can you know dream all you want. Like so many bands who you know, yeah, who be, who become even more successful. Or they're like, yeah, man, we we worked whatever job we could get. You know, just we got to pay the rent and we gotta, however we do that. You know, um, so you you know you don't end up having as much time to be, you know, the Beatles. As you might think, you might dream of when you're in some other place, you know. Mm -hmm. But uh, just just even more so than in you know a smaller city. So, yeah, of course. Um, but then we then we start hitting the ground, playing as many shows as possible with you know meeting all these people and having a blast too. And then having to you know when you're younger, you're like you could you have the energy to wake up and go do some day job. Yeah. And then play gigs at night and then repeat mm -hmm. so and then you <laughs> recorded uh politics for kids yeah that was that we recorded another record that i don't before that with uh jeremy wilms and and torbett schwartz they had a, a studio down in dumbo and we recorded a an ep before that okay and then and then another year passes and you do politics for kids or was it a couple years or um, I don't, I, th uh, I don't, I'm not, I don't remember the timeline, but maybe, yeah, maybe it was one or two years 
when we started doing because politics for kids was the first one we kind well since you know, 2008 we, 2008 okay we wow okay so <laughs> yeah maybe a year later we did started politics for kids because you know we met josh citron again through you know the funky monkeys uh-huh. eric biondo another link uh and that was more relaxed recording like we we spent you know like we'd go over there a couple nights or during the day a little bit and then we kind of spread out that recording so it was uh, and also had a producer for the first time you know yeah putting it, put, adding his ideas and you know sounds and that kind of thing so yeah i re- i remember visiting new york um and staying at your guys place and going over the studio walking over to the studio and like just hanging out and going to the bodega i was like this is so rad uh <laughs> yeah that was the time you know that was like the prime brooklyn experience yeah, yeah. right yeah like that's I'll, it was, it was rough that. and it was like you know just unhinged yeah bushwick was was different uh let's say bushwick was a bit different 12 13 years yeah. ago um which is which is strange now because that's always the way I remember it. Still, is, I get off the train now and I walk up those stairs. I'm like, where the hell am I? This is not. <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. I can't believe that's the same stop. The, the, you know, the Jefferson stop and some of those stops you get on. I was like, what the fuck happened? To this yeah. place? <laughs> I love you morning, noon, and started joining all these other bands like how did that you know how did that kind of grow like when when eric said uh you should move you move you and your band down to new york he's like i'll get you gigs if you can play and you're and you're fun to hang out with that's like people you know are you know it's like it's (laughs) it's a recipe for disaster uh or gigs you know it's like well you know start bands you go out as much as possible and meet people, and if you know one or two people who know one or two people, and you can play and you can hang out, then it's like just a matter of time before you know you get another you know you get another thirty dollar gig on a Tuesday night with someone else's band. <laughs> yeah, but it's it turned into I mean you you eventually were like an official member of I mean what was the number up I mean that's when it kind of started becoming kind of re- like this is uh this is how you you know you meet some older musicians who uh who are also on these gigs and uh they've been doing they're freelancing i was like oh this is this is what it means to be a freelancer a gun for hire yeah so um so every night you're working playing but you, you start playing bass you start singing more playing guitar you know you, you know you kind of you kind of switched things up right you became like more of a you know this multifaceted musician that you know people were using in all different ways like when, when did that become you know what I'm, i don't just play horn I, I can play all this other stuff i'm gonna learn this and learn that and well yeah that you know. started living with pj at the treehouse because he had a he had a real job and uh <laughs> and he so his bass would be laying around and i was like you know what let me let me let me let me pick this thing up, but I, you know, playing guitar a little bit before that. But uh, you know, I took sure. some lessons. But especially having PJ's bass, some gear lying around. So yes, you know, like oh, let me turn this thing on and, and mess around. Um, yeah, I, I mean, that combined with having your wisdom teeth in for playing a brass instrument, having those teeth in, kind of it hurts after a while. And you just want to kind of express yourself in a different way, if uh, if possible. Um, I can think it's natural for for musicians to want to experiment with other instruments and and just become, uh, you know, let me see how this works, how how we can fit this into the music that we're making, and uh, just a natural curiosity because maybe you get bored. I don't know. <laughs> and that, I mean, and that changed the shape of the band and as you as a musician, like that changed because there's a transition from thought as more of a jazz fusion-y kind of, you know, funky band to, um, you know, to the Miwi La Lupa moniker, which 
is a different, you know, which is a move in a different direction. When when did when did it start to feel like, you know what, I want I kind of want to switch gears? Um I think it just comes, you know, with what kind of music you're checking out. When you start listening to more Willie Nelson, yeah. You know, and Waylon Jennings like, well, well, at that time, you know, I was listening to the first solo record. Yeah. Um I was listening to a lot of that stuff due to uh you know some life some life situations but you know that being said we we also had recorded a thought record at that around that same time so i didn't have any doubt that uh you can you can have both worlds you can have a solo thing and have a band that you've had forever and i think i think just life circumstances like you know pj has a child um and it can be like you know, you just get older, and you're like, "What are we gonna? What are we really gonna do with this? Are we gonna? Are we? You know, are we touring the world? Or I, you know?" I, so PJ's kid broke up we, the band, is what you're telling me. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's just, the timing it's just of that. You, no, and again, it comes back to just surviving in New York City. It's like, what is, is what is bringing? Yeah. You know, it's like, hey, now I got a kid. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta make some. You know, we can't be doing this or the rent has gone up so we got to be you know and like you said at that point i was playing in like eight bands all the time too so just to just to keep food on my plate and the rent paid so um all that kind of hodgepodge of different music kind of things kind of go in different ways i think it became evident that you had to start to think about the gigs in a different way and you're driven a little bit more by trying to support yourself. So the first record new way home, uh, came out 2014. So yeah, there's a, there's six years. I mean, there's six years between those records that that's like, that's when I would imagine the transitions happen, right? Lots of gigs. Like when did you start touring with bands that traveled and stuff? Like when, when was that? I was temping at Bear Stearns before that, before I took them down. Mm-hmm. And uh, 2008, yeah. Um, so I guess I had been playing with Kenny Wallison and the Himalayas, and they asked me to go on this tour with the New Blue Orchestra, and that was like you know it's all improvised orchestra, and we would you know when Thought would get a gig at New Blue, it was like that was our kind of the peak because Brazilian girls played there, and it was just the coolest place for the kind of music that we were playing, and it's you know still exist today but uh so the new blue orchestra asked me to go on this european you know festival tour for a couple weeks and i stood up at the cubicle (laughs) i was just like i'm out (laughs) so you you like you quit on the spot like you got the email or got the tech no hell no 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 i I mean i finished out my temp maybe it was like another day or two but i got the email that's all we did like me and a lot of other musicians from eastman would temp at that bank yeah and we would just work on our websites and and book gigs because we just answer phones for bankers and take messages and there's so much time and access to uh to the internet so uh that was that was great thanks Barry Stearns rest in peace uh-huh but uh, so th- so that after that it was like you know these super you know high level engagements would come along once in a while mm-hmm. and it wasn't like you're in but one you know if there was a gig like that you know to give you some adventure and some money to play with you know all these great musicians it's like yeah yep yeah, yep yeah. listen guys you know then you call in your other other bands who are in town who are like you know we have a gig next week um you know pays you know pays you know 35 bucks. I know we all love the music, but I got to go take this other gig. And, mm-hmm. and then, you know, um, so your story, your, your story wasn't that tip. Like, I think like a lot of times when you're listening to a musician on a podcast, you hear the, and then we put out the record and it was like, bang, you know, we just snapped our fingers and suddenly we're touring America. Like that wasn't, that wasn't this story. This is a slower burn. This is like, Oh, I, I got this one gig and then met these other guys. And now I, I got this other gig. And, that's kind of more yeah. the yeah. situation. What were some of the like the more memorable like 
the highs and lows of when it started off, you know? Oh man. I mean, that's the thing about it. As you know, as, as freelancers, like it's, it's all kind of who, you know, and, uh, like I said, it doesn't, it doesn't, it was never, there's no like safety net with this stuff. So it's like one week you're doing great. You're on a tour somewhere. And the next week you, you can't afford your rent and you're, you're begging people for gigs and you're taking other jobs, temp jobs, lighting, you know, storts lighting. Remember that? Um, Mark Simmons. Um, so it's kind of, it's kind of month to month, you know, it's like, it's so, so I feel like you never get to a point where you feel like you made it, you know? I mean, it's, you know, in certain respects, you're like, I made, you know, th- just the fact that Kenny Wallison is calling me for a gig or, you know, people like that, you know, the, the Fela on Broadway show, I'm playing that. And it's like, man, yeah, I can hang it. And it, it, I'm getting these gigs. That's awesome. But it, there's never a point. Cause you know, that gig is, you know, a there's no, you know, you don't have any writing in it, so there's no royalty checks coming through like mailbox money that's gonna set you up for a while. It's just a gig, uh, albeit fun and it pays well, but uh, it's like, no, I, I didn't make it. So the minute you think that next month is gonna in New York, next month is gonna like punch you in the face, especially come January, you know. Okay, so waiting for that, waiting for some phone calls. So I don't, you know. So okay, so during this time, you're also, you're also starting to record and take your solo, um, you know, songwriting and stuff career to another level. Uh, at some point, you met Connor, and maybe yeah, maybe that yeah. was a, maybe that was a, a change. How did that? come together unless you want to talk about red barat or about anything else like before that like yeah like yeah red barat is you know another band that was like consistent work Mm -hmm. yeah at that point you know i really was into i've been playing horn you know as a session musician a lot for many you know for a long time and then you know after you know playing learning to play the bass and playing guitar more and more and writing my songs that way um i just felt like you know, I want, I just enjoy singing songs and playing stringed instruments more than, you know, blowing a horn for two hours a night. You know, I'd rather play that bass and sing, you know, sing some harmonies or play guitar and sing the lead uh, songs, you know, that I wrote, whatever. So, you know, so um, we, you know, I met Connor just, you know, through a friend, Kevin and you know, he's like, oh, do you, you know, I was like, do you play? Because I didn't know who he was. So I was like, hey, hey, what's up, man? Nice to meet you. Do you play? He's like, yeah, right. You know, songs and play guitar. I'm like, cool. I think I was coming off a gig. Uh, I think we played with Antibalas on the on a boat cruise, the Rocks Off boat cruises. Those were fun. But uh, so, yeah, we became friends. And, um, you know, that was around the time, you know, New Way Home. We were working on New Way Home with Monica, and he came and sang on that in the apartment. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we had a, if we played yet together, but I seen then I had since seen him play <laughs> at Carnegie Hall. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, you can play. Yeah. So th- this is <laughs> this is Connor O'Burst we're talking about, uh, who's uh, you know now has gone on to produce a couple of your records, and it's you know now you have played in his bands and I mean I guess it's probably safe to say that that relationship sort of changed you know changed things a bit for you know what you were maybe focusing on and and uh took your music to another level a little bit or at least yeah yeah I mean I can't say enough about Connor's you know his support and his and his musicianship and his songwriting um you know, at that time, I was like, you know, getting into more into kind of, you know, f- country and folk and just trying to kind of zero in on songwriting without, you know, without a a longer instrumental section. Because that's how I always wrote before that. There's definitely going to be some jam in some of these songs. But this, at that point, it was like, 
I just want to write a, like a, a simple song, uh, just a song, you know, just get to it and get it done. The papers all follow you from town to town. Your exes all forward the mail. So, hanging with Connor, we kind of start listening to the music together and and then playing his, learning his songs for different tours. Um, and it was like, oh, uh, you know, here's a, here's a month long gig and you can play bass and sing harmonies in my band. I'm like, great. So then I, uh, you know, I stopped playing with Red Barat because it was a great opportunity to do that thing that I wanted to do. Um, and just, you know, meet, seeing his process and meeting those people, I was like, yeah, I like, I like this. So let's, let's just, let's try and keep this thing going. And then that takes you to Omaha. I mean, you, you joined the whole gang out there in Omaha. The first album that you recorded out there was Ended Up Making Love. Um, and then Beginner's Guide and Tips, which just came out, um, were all recorded in Omaha. Well, Beginner's Guide was started in uh, Oh yeah, there was in we Brooklyn. Did in Brooklyn. Yeah, right before right before I moved. Okay, yeah, because um, yeah, it was that's a good timeline. Yeah, of that. we did with um, Josh Velo. Yeah, kind of an in And then we did the, we did some overdubs in in Omaha. So that gets us up to the Omaha world, and and since then, it's been a lot of kind of this uh, Swiss Army knife sort of guy that kind of does it all with Connor. What, what, You've done stuff as small as just the duo, just the two of you touring to playing with his big full-time band. And now you're on tour with Bright Eyes, right? How's that going? How's the how's the new tour yeah, going? Shut the hell. No, we're supposed to be on tour right now. Yeah. But uh um no, obviously that's things that things like that uh don't exist for a while. But um uh, being here kind of takes some of that stress of uh you know, New York life and that survival mode. When I first moved here, I got a someone in uh, England asked me to go on tour, you know, have a, like a co-headlining tour of sorts in clubs mm-hmm. in England and through Europe, uh, which was an amazing experience. It really was. Uh, Duke Dutson, my boy from uh, Manchester over there, I was like, I finally had, you know, that just a little bit of like safety net that you can go on a tour, lose, you know, lose your shirt. Mm-hmm. And still come back and not be like kicked onto the street. So that was after New Way Home. That came out on Team Love Records, which also opened some doors because you know people know Connor's music and know he's associated with Team Love Records. So you know you get some, you know make some other friends in other you know cities sure. and clubs who want to uh, you know want to have you play. And in the meantime, also taking all that knowledge and experience from from sessions in New York and playing these different instruments. Mike Mogus lives, you know, you know, up the hill mm-hmm. and uh he's always producing other records, so he needs a bass player. I live right down the hill. He needs a back he needs some singers on this thing, or you know, I live so been able to keep that thing going here and he's been he's had me on a bunch of different records and different capacities i mean it's it appears to be a a great situation and now it's um spoiler alert uh yeah you've you fully have have joined up with bright eyes you contributed to the new record what was that like so they had some writing sessions early on and uh so nate would maybe come up with some some piano parts and chords and mike's working on some stuff some instrumentals that collaboration is cool to see but Connor would come, you know, we're in the fun room by the piano. He's like, man, what do you got? I need a chorus. Let's go. What mm-hmm. do you got? Start singing some melodies. Yeah. So I did that on, I did that on a couple of songs and, and said, hey, you know, Nate, who's an incredible piano player. I'm like, why don't you try that minor four chord? Go back to major one, minor four, you know, and then start singing melodies and record just blah, 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 you know, blah, blah melodies. Yeah. And that Connor would take the take in right words to those melodies and the chords so that happened on a couple songs which is tight and i skipped i skipped but he produced your most recent record tips yeah yeah so it's gone you know you guys kind of have a this collaborative spirit over there of your helping you know you scratch mine i'll scratch yours kind of a situation but 
Yeah. You you guys became friends in New York, and now you live in Omaha. And, you know, obviously you've become very close, and he helps you out with your records, you help him out with his records. Yeah, and in fact, I was, you know, Mary and I were, were planning, but by, by this point, uh, yeah, we were, we were planning, Come, you know, I remember talking with you about this stuff back in, like, October, moving back to New York. You know, I've been in Omaha. I want to get back to that. I kind of grind and keep, you know, uh, just play more, get to play more music like we did, like, like, you know, we've been talking about all that music, you know, it's like, I miss that variety and, uh, you know, so by this point, and luckily we didn't move to New York, we were going to move in April. That would have been, um, yeah, it would have been terrible. But then also, also at the same time, Bright Eyes was, you know, their record's coming out in August and the they asked me to be in the touring band, you know, singing and playing uh, guitar and horn and and maybe some keyboards and hopefully a tambourine. But uh, so I was like, all right, we'll, we'll stay one more year and then move back after that after that cycle of touring. So what are you gonna do? Yeah, what are you gonna do? <laughs> This is this is our topic of the day. So topic of the day, little music. Topic of the day. Nice. Yeah, Miwi. Miwi said gardening. So let's talk about it. Yeah, let's get into it. Yeah, man. Tell me what's going on. It's been a couple, couple years of having. Well, I was doing it back at the the spot in on Dean Street with Connor Elms. He had a couple boxes. Uh, you know, raised garden beds, and I was I started the summer before I left, and you know some tomatoes and some jalapenos and a couple little things like that. And then out here in Omaha, there's a, there's three garden boxes and another couple little and some pots and stuff that Karina had all set up nice. And then she, you know, she left, and so I was like, oh, now it's up to me to keep this garden going because I like I like this stuff. My mom was always gardening you know and this is mainly a vegetable it, garden vegetable garden but flowers too i start you know mm-hmm. so i get them started early come like early you know march i start them inside and the little planters are compostable planters mm-hmm. so maybe try uh some different flowers some random flowers start them from seed because i think that's the, that's the, the coolest part of the process just watching them grow up and eventually they flower you're just waiting for that day when they flower this year we have um me and Mary are racing on uh, on sunflowers. What do you mean racing? Be- well, we went and picked out two different seeds at the at Lowe's a couple months ago, and uh, she picked out the uh, the some kind of skyscraper mm-hmm. seed, and I picked out the American Giant. Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right, I'll, I'll race. Like, let's see which one's going to be the tallest. Okay. Um. So we got some sunflowers, but we you know got collard greens, kale, lacinato kale. Um, got some squash. That's crazy though. Like only one, you only need one squash seed or plant because multiple, they will take over your whole thing, man. It grows so big. Um, yeah, some lettuce, three different kinds of tomatoes. There's actually potatoes we took, um, me and Cheech put out in this little kind of trough looking container and we planted them. Maybe two months ago, so they're almost ready to to pluck. Got some garlic down. You for the start. First you time. started in, in. You started indoors some like a month ago, a couple months ago, or how long ago? Potato? No, no, outdoors. So like you're supposed to plant potatoes. Oh, I meant the rest of the vegetables. Oh yeah, start them indoors. Yeah, uh-huh. a couple months. And now ago. they're outdoors. I did put them outside. Just you're supposed to before you put them in the ground. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to with in their little starter cups. Yeah. You're supposed to like get them kind of used to the. The outdoor weather because they're indoor, you know. They're, mm-hmm. You know, you got to get them used to the hood where it's just gonna be rough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they haven't, so they I, haven't yet been put into the into their final resting place. Right, um, but then now it's really cold out in Omaha, so you know, there's no sun. The sunflowers, I'm like, man, they're like, just it's a cold spring, late spring so far. For sure, we're. I know in Buffalo, y'all had like snow just the other day. We're over here in Buffalo. I, I was over at PJ's house. I drove by the other day after we 
did so, play a little hockey together, and I saw his wife Jess doing the gardening. And I said, "What's going on over here? You do you doing the gardening? Does PJ do the gardening?" He's like, "No, no, she, he he buys the stuff. I I got it under control." Yeah, it's not very collaborative. <laughs> uh, not very collaborative. Is no, that your choice, or is you're just not allowed to fuck with it? I guess it's just one of those things I'm not allowed to fuck with. You know? <laughs> you're the supply man, though. Yeah, you go to Lowe's and get all the stuff, lay it down, and she's she's got it. Yeah, I got a little ve- corner. You guys doing vegetables or anything? Um, I got an herb garden actually. So there we go. Just a nice little tight one that we I pluck off and. You know, a little rosemary, a little. Do you mint. have raised beds or, or pots or? No, I just have a um, couple cans. Yeah. You till the land at all? No, not because I was all perennials <laughs> and then some annuals in the ground because it's a lot of chemicals and clay and shit like that. But um, yeah, the clay. Yeah, we can't. So yeah, I've been inspired to. I'm I'm stuck also. Somewhere I'm stuck at my parents' house in Buffalo, and I I said we should write, we should you know they got a big yard. I was like we should get a garden going. You know, my mother wanted to get one going, but maybe my father wasn't that into it. But my, me being the third vote here is now like, okay, I guess, you know, two against one here. We're going to get one going. So we saw the neighbors have some raised beds. Um, That's what you, know, you got to do. Just not that yeah. high. Yeah, because you have to just use, you have to use good soil, yeah, topsoil. Exactly. I mean, it depends on where you're at. I mean, true yeah, well, you these, I mean, yeah, these suburbs of Buffalo is just straight clay. There's no, there's no soil. They didn't put any soil. There's no, you know, it just doesn't exist. So. There's enough to yeah. to grow some grass, and that's it. But um, yeah, we're gonna get some vegetables going. I was, you know, uh, yeah, green beans. At, the, uh, at this point, we have to buy the plants already sprouted, and and you know, just just that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. That's that's great. Yeah, yeah I, you, I, that, I like I like doing the little babies. You indoors, go from seed. From I mean, you seed. you seed up. So from from not for the whole thing. Like you know, you get you do half of that for your garden, and then you go. To get some 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 sprouters that are already you know like yeah I'll, I'll plant some of those some flowers just to get it going some clones and uh, what yeah some you know so it's kind of half and half that's the way I treat it yeah. yeah there's a lot of different options you could do with the raised bed too like some people I see they have like a plastic barrel cut in half mm-hmm. yeah yeah for for a raised bed yeah for a raised bed that's tight. And then we're just like make a, sure you put some holes in the bottom of that thing. Well, exactly, yeah, a little bit of drainage. like an old some, wooden yeah. barrel that like kind of looks kind of rustic, or just like of. a plastic like chemical barrel. You probably oh, have yeah, some well. at your dad's shop, you know. Yeah, that ain't gonna fly though. And my mom, you know, they're not doing plastic barrels here. They're gonna, you know, it's gotta it's be gotta, cute. It's gotta no, a certain aesthetic. It's gotta, that be, needs it's gotta be very cute. <laughs> one one of these conversations have been, you know, I I had just pictured it against the fence. And my mom was like, no, you need it to be out a little bit so that you can walk around the whole thing and, you know, kind of check it out, you know. So that's that's been a little up in the air as far as the way we're going to, you know, we're going to have it out as like a little island, kind of takes up a little more of the yard. But you would you would be able to not have to walk through the actual garden to kind of see what's going on in there. The other question is how high to make the uh, the walls of the raised thing. Yours are pretty high. You know, like different... Yours are pretty high, right? Yeah, they're about two feet. Yeah, two feet. But it depends on them bunny rabbits. You know, you could you can keep them. There's rabbits. We might need to chicken wire or something because. Yep, yep. You get some of that, and then yeah, because the one in, on Dean Street was like a foot high. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't that high. It wasn't as high as the one out here. And do you have rodent issues? No, I mean we did we did tomatoes and jalapenos. So they and the rabbits don't really like tomatoes. We didn't really have a problem with. You know, with any, we're not gonna be growing carrots. I mean, rabbits eat every, everything. What, what, what else do they eat? Listen, I I got a sunflower last year, that was you know we got it when it was like a foot high. Yeah, not and, and I thought it was the kind of sunflower like the one I'm growing now, that was gonna grow and be like six feet tall and beautiful and just shine, but I put it down in the ground out by some weeds and uh, don't you know these rabbits came and just like ate all the petals off of it. Then I put a little cage around it, and it was like too late. So not on. I know, stupid rabbits. Stupid rabbits. So you're hoping to get a big, a big yield this year, maybe bigger than last. Like you going a little more aggressive this year. I want, I want to turn the backyard into an entire farm. <laughs> you should probably get a, a couple of vines back there. You know what I mean? Yeah. A little, yeah, a little vino divino. <laughs> vineyard. I heard it through the grapevine. Okay. That's right. 
Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, anything else about gardening you'd like to uh, discuss? Just that, uh, obviously, it's fun to eat all the... Well, BLT season's coming up in around, like, August, September. That's fun. When you got your homegrown tomatoes and get some nice bread and some some bacon. BLT season is, is what it's all about. So every day when you're, like... And it's just, like, meditative. You go out there, you got to get the hose and water a little bit. And just grow these little babies so you can eat them. You enjoy the ta- you enjoy the part of taking care of it throughout the whole process. Yeah, and then see, and then you know, then you then you like that reward of your care, which is yeah, juicy juicy delicious fruits. Yeah, serrano yeah. peppers. We got serrano peppers. I was I was thinking about you know, the old the old grow marijuana in the garden. Like I've done that I've yeah. done that fifteen years ago. It turned out incredible. I had one plant, and I put it outside in a big pot and like put it on the you know just the backyard just watered it here and there and it grew this giant you know had like <laughs> it was so easy and i think i think it's almost might even be it might be legal these days maybe i'm wrong about that i don't know some places it is yeah somebody here at the house wanted to uh experiment with that i was like i don't even smoke weed like that so i know I, it's I mean like, i would do not, it just, it is, just it's for, actually a beautiful it's a beautiful plant yeah just I mean, just for the fun of it you know or like grow cbd plants or something you know what i mean like get the cbd ones that'd be fun CBD. Then you can make you can make your own CBD seltzer. You can do whatever you want with that CBD. Put in <laughs> a sauce. Muddle it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Muddled CBD cocktails. Do you have any? You got any art or media kind of recommendations? I I like to hear my friends' stuff. You know what they're listening to or what they are watching or reading or or anything. It could, you know, could be one thing. Could be a couple things. Anything these days that you're that you're digging that you might want to tell other people to check out? Like I said earlier, the uh, Michelle Obama's Becoming the documentary, her book tour, that was that was awesome to see and powerful okay. and a nice insight into their lives, into uh, her life. Um, times like these, you're like you want a, like a nice big thick book. Like uh, when's the last time you read a thick book? Uh, the last time I did was when when we had a. Uh, when I was taking this very long train commute out to uh, Jamaica, Queens to teach. And I, you know, I needed a book every single, every time I got on that train, I needed a book and, and I would Ender's Game, uh, Lord of the Rings. Um, but now I'm reading uh, John Steinbeck's uh, East of Eden. So it's a nice world to escape to for a little while. You're enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. Yeah. And sometimes I just, I read. I'm just zone out. I'm like, I'm here in the Salinas Valley in north, you know, northern California, in 1912. Yep, that's where I am. Beautiful. Hard times, like hard times. No, that sounds nice. I'm a farmer out there at hard times. Like, and there's, you know, there ain't no fertile soil. I just, I gotta go dig a, a well, get some water for the cows. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, World War One's about to start. Like, oh man, imagine that. So, so you're teaching you're teaching lessons right now to children. Is that something? I mean, at this point, since you're Zoom, you can teach anybody anywhere, right? Yeah. Is that a door you want to open or no? I'm not sure. I want to do that. You know, we just finished a record, um, almost done mixing. I mixed some songs and produced a Stathi record, and that's almost done. Josh Velo is going to mix the last track and then kind of master them all together. So they're kind of busy with that some. And uh, kids are hard enough to deal with when you're in the same room and they, you can see them in the eye, give them that look. But on a computer screen, you can't give them that look. They're not afraid of the screen, you know. They you know, they don't. Sometimes, so you have to adapt. And what I'm saying is that. Uh, so you're good on students. You don't want more students. I, I <clears throat> yeah, it's, uh, it, you get Zoom and uh, you know, computer fatigue speaking because, you know, when the, when the thing gets interrupted, you can't, you know, the computers yeah. don't speak to each other well. And you got to repeat yourself and just, you know, you got to do it anyway with kids. But it's even more so with yeah. this uh, language, this language kind of barrier, sure. which is mm. the computer. OK, so. so if any so if any adults with a lot of money want lessons from Miwi La Lupa, maybe, you know, reach out. Yeah, you, you can you can def- you can reach out, you know, you know, me you can reach out. You can track down Miwi Lalupa online. You know how to do it. Just find him. He'll be out there. Um, yeah, you know where to find me. 
And uh, yeah, you can hear his records everywhere. Um, newest one is Tips. And uh, you hear that dog? I do hear that dog. <laughs> yeah, he's like podcast time, is time over. to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that'll do it, guys. That's episode one of the Tiger Shrimp Podcast. Uh, we'll be back next week with another great guest. Thank you, Mimi La Lupa. Please go head over to MimiLaLupa.com and check out his new album tips, which you've been hearing throughout the podcast. Go to TigerShipRecords.com and order some vinyl records from us. I think we got five or six out these days. Um, they're all the best thing you've ever heard. And uh, you go out on Instagram. There's Tiger Shrimp Records there. That's where I post stuff and news and stuff. So, um, yeah. Thanks so much. Y'all take care now. <laughs>